Welcome to Courageous Parenting Podcast, a weekly show to equip parents with biblical truth on raising confident Christian kids in an uncertain world. Hi, I'm Angie from Courageous Mom. And I'm Isaac from Resolute Man. We've been married for 21 years and have seen the fruit from raising our eight kids biblically based on the raw truth found in the Bible. We can no longer let the culture win the hearts of children. Too many children from Christian families are walking away from their faith by age 18. And it doesn't have to be this way. It shouldn't be this way. Join us as we start an important conversation about effective parenting in the following world. Welcome back to the Courageous Parenting Podcast, everyone. Uh, if you're a first-time listener, we so appreciate you, and uh, you have some uh, great info in store, and uh, we're excited to do this special guest interview. We rarely have guests, but when they're really valuable and we know you're going to get a lot out of it, we want to do that. Yeah, and so we're excited to be here today with Ken Ham. Um, he is the CEO and of AnswersInGenesis.org. You can find out more about him, but also the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. And we have benefited from his resources over the last 20 years, and we know and trust them. And so that's one of the reasons why we were willing to do an interview with him when he came out with a new parenting book that we're very excited to share with you today. So Ken, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Isaac and Angie. It's great to be able to talk with you and uh, thrilled that you uh, love this ministry and what we stand for, which of course is God's word, the authority of God's word, beginning right there at the beginning in Genesis. Oh, it's so powerful because if you can't accurately answer your kids' questions and you don't know where you stand on things, how can we expect our kids to believe in the Bible? Either all the Bible's true or you put question in people's minds. And so that was such a key thing I know as a, a newer dad when I first uh, was exposed to your speaking and resources. Mm -hmm. That was so powerful for me to really have an answer for things. And so I appreciate that so much about your, uh, your ministry. I, I think it'd be really interesting to find out just a, the personal side of you, and then we'll dig into some things. So why don't you tell us about your family, uh, number of kids and, and uh, what's going on there? Well, uh, I have one wife, which, which is good because that's what the Bible says, right? <laughs> and we have five kids, four that are married, one that's single, we have 18 grandchildren, just had our 18th uh, grandchild. And so uh, the Lord has blessed us in that way. And I tell you what's thrilling for us is to see our children all loving the Lord. We, we did our best to pass on that spiritual legacy to the next generation. And we see the fruit of that in all of our kids. And now we see them passing on that spiritual legacy to the next generation, which is our grandkids to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So uh, we are just so thankful to the Lord for that. And uh, you know, my wife spends a lot of time looking after grandchildren. They all live within about 20 minutes of our house. And so you can imagine there's kids coming and going all day long, I think, all week long. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's I, I would say that has been one of our visions and dreams for the future, of course, as I know a lot of other people who listen to the Courageous Courage podcast, that that's what we want for our kids, right? For them to know the Lord in a personal way, to seek after following him. And so to find someone who has the fruit and to be able to ask them questions can sometimes be harder today. So what a blessing that your kids are walking with Jesus. That's awesome. Yeah, it's so cool. So early on, did you have a vision as a father and, and your wife too, as a mother, uh, for a multi-generational mm -hmm. legacy, or did this happen later to you? Seems like it must have happened really. Well, you know, I grew up in a Christian home in Australia. Australia is a pretty pagan country, and my father was a teacher and got transferred 
uh, to school after school every three years because he was so good at what he did and he got promoted. And my father and mother uh, were just dedicated uh, to proclaiming the truth of God's word. Uh, they were both brought up in Christian homes as well in Australia. And so I saw my parents uh, having an evangelistic heart and doing whatever they could to reach others with the message of God's word and the gospel. Uh, they started Sunday schools, pioneered Sunday schools in little country towns where there was no Sunday school. And they were bringing missionaries in. In Australia, there's a mission organization called the Open Air Campaigners, and they would have them stay in their house and use them to be able to run programs so that children could hear the truth of God's word and the gospel. So my father was very much one who wanted to make sure that they did all they could as a family to not only raise up their own children on God's word, but to also reach others as well. And that all had a great impact on me. And, you know, even growing up, I remember some of the churches we went to, the pastors were quite liberal, in fact, being impacted by liberal theology, because some towns only had one church or two churches. And my father would show us from the Bible where what the pastor had said was wrong. He said, a little boy took out his loaves and fishes, so everybody else did the same. No, that's not what the scripture says. And he would also challenge the pastor as well. And we would see that. And so what my father started doing was this. He recognized how liberal theology was causing people to doubt God's word. He didn't want us doubting God's word and be led astray. So he started researching what all the liberal uh, theologians were teaching and to give us answers. And, you know, looking back on it, he never used the word apologetics, but that's what he was doing, training us up in apologetics. In other words, giving us answers against the attacks of the day that were undermining God's word. And that's something that's missing from a lot of homes today, where we haven't thought through what are the attacks today and how are our children being led astray. So we need to be able to give them those answers to defend the Christian faith. It had a great impact on my own life, which is why the Ministry of Answers and Genesis is an apologetics organization. That's who we are. That's what we do. That's so cool. And since you mentioned it, you have a chapter in your book. Um, what a great book, by the way, Will They Stand? Everybody's got to pick this up. It's so good, uh, which is kind of bathed in your personal stories with the, the biblical truth and practical knowledge of how to parent today in these cultures that are so against the truth. Uh, so really love the book. But one of the chapters is Welcome to the War. And I thought it was a good choice of words, interesting choice of words. And uh, it's, it said parents strategy for protection and counterattack. And so I'd love to hear. I think everybody'd love to hear uh, what that's about. Well, you know, one of the things we have to recognize is Scripture uses military terminology quite a lot, you know, in the New Testament. And of course, there's all the military conquests in the Old Testament, but it uses military terminology in regard to our own lives, uh, into, in regard to our spiritual state, because we are in a war. It's a war that started 6,000 years ago, by the way, even Genesis 3, and said, did God really say? In other words, there's a devil creating doubt that you can trust God's word. And then he said, you can be like God. In other words, you make up truth for yourself. In other words, obey man's word. And so a battle began between God's word and man's word. And, you know, we see that battle all the way through scripture. It's portrayed in different ways, like a battle between light and darkness, a battle between those on the narrow way, those on the broad way, those who are for Christ, those who are against, those who gather, those who scatter. I mean, it's all the way through scripture. And it's a reminder that we're in a war and it's a spiritual war. And scripture also teaches, like in Ephesians and other places too, but to make sure we're equipped for the war. In other words, equipped by putting on the whole armor of God. 
and you know the sword of the spirit which is the word of god and so on and the the question that i like to ask people today is you know for instance parents okay the bible tells us we're in a spiritual war we don't war against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers we're in that spiritual war it's raging around us and we've got to understand the tactics of the enemy you know in second corinthians 11 3 paul has a warning for us and this is god through paul I want to warn you, the devil's going to use the same method on you as he did on Eve to get you to position or your kids, your grandkids to position are not believing the things of God. So what was that method he used on Eve? Well, we go back to Genesis 3. Did God really say? In other words, to create doubt to lead to unbelief. And so I call that the Genesis 3 attack. And the Genesis 3 attack has manifested itself in different ways in different eras. For instance, you know, I use the example when Peter and Paul were preaching, did anyone ask them about carbon dating? Well, the answer is no, because that wasn't an issue in their day. When Martin Luther was nailing those theses on the door of the church, you know, did, did anyone ask him about dinosaurs on the ark? Well, no, that wasn't an issue in his day. The word dinosaur wasn't even invented until 1841. My point is, there's been all sorts of attacks on the word of God. The devil's method never changes. Uh, it's an attack to undermine the authority of the word of God. But the way that attack manifests itself is in different ways in different eras. And so today I say to people, look, as I've traveled all over the world, one of the things that I have noticed is that when people know you're about the Bible and the gospel, they ask the same basic questions. Oh, wait a minute. Don't we live in a scientific age? Hasn't science disproved the Bible? How do you know there's a God anyway? Well, who made God? Well, what about the races of people? What about dinosaurs? Carbon dating? What about the ape man? Didn't we all evolve by evolution? Didn't the universe come by big bang and uh, so on? And then I ask people, how many of you have heard those questions? In today's culture, every hand goes up and it doesn't matter where I'm speaking. And then I, then I ask them this, how many of you can answer those questions adequately? And that's just some of them. And how many of you have equipped your children to be able to answer those questions because they're the questions that are used today as part of the Genesis 3 attack. And it's a particular attack on God's word beginning in Genesis that has caused many to doubt and not believe God's word and walk away from the church. And we've seen that. I mean, the younger generations, uh, it's down to, well, a few years ago, it was down to 18% for millennials going to church. Now it's down to about 11% for millennials. And yet, if you go back to the older generations, the greatest generation, 52% of them went to church. You know, even in the baby boomers, I mean, the baby boomer generation, 30, 30 plus percent went to church. We're seeing, we're losing the younger generations from the church. And the reason is, I believe, because parents haven't equipped their children to defend the Christian faith, have allowed the world to, uh, to, to attack the Bible and God's word, and we haven't prepared them for that attack, and they've succumbed. And, you know, just quickly to finish off this little bit here, uh, and that is God has told us specific ways that we are to equip our children and how to train them. And, and like in the book, I talk about what it means to put salt in them, because there are many parents that say, shouldn't our kids be in the public schools to be the salt of the earth? Well, I deal with that in the book to show that that argument does not hold up against scripture. Well, you use a great example, too. Of, uh, I think you say Vegemite, uh, which is Vegemite, maybe. It's something eaten in Australia that, uh, you know, 
counterfeit in a way. I don't know. Well, no, it's actually something they love. It's like peanut yes, butter to us in America, uh, according to your book. I thought that was super interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but you're making an interesting point there, where it's like, okay, just as it becomes an acquired taste. Uh, we need to also equip our kids in understanding biblical ways and biblical truth. Yeah. And it's not just something, obviously, parents don't save their kids. Salvation is something God does. Mm -hmm. But parents are the authority over their kids when they're growing up. The God-given mm -hmm. authority. It's our jurisdiction. It's our jurisdiction yeah. to pour into them and, mm -hmm. uh, and to build that. So anyways, anything you want to say about that? I thought that was interesting. Well, uh, yeah. You know, I remember when we had our first son. And that was in 1976, our first child, actually. And so there I am in the hospital looking into his little crib. And he looked back at me and he said, hey, dad, what do you view as eschatology and soteriology? And, you know, we had in-depth theological discussion right then. Uh, but of course, we know that's stupid and that doesn't happen. But that's my point. My point is, you know, when our children are born, uh, they don't know about Jesus they don't know about the Bible. I mean, God's word says the knowledge of God is written on our hearts. We know there's a God. We're without excuse. I mean, Romans 1. And Romans 2 tells us there's a conscience. A law is written on our hearts. But they don't know about Adam and Eve. They don't know about the fall of man, the sacrificial system, and what that meant pointing to the Messiah. They don't know about Abraham, Moses. They don't know about uh, Jesus, uh, the babe in a manger. He uh, died on the cross, raised from the dead. They don't know that. Our job as parents is to make sure we put that salt of biblical truth in them. And we do know, too, from God's word that they have a sinful heart and the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And you've had children and you know they're, they're not perfect. <laughs> in wow. fact, none of us are perfect. Scripture says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so that means we already have a bias against God. When your kids are born, they have a bias against God and that inner bias we have is there and, and as our sin nature fighting against uh, what is truth. So we're going to have a hard job and we've got to recognize that because we're going to fight against something that's already a negative, so to speak. And the, the, I use the word, I use the example of Vegemite because the Vegemite is that black paste. It's very salty and it's sort of, yeah, you know, they got all this sludge left over from the breweries in Australia. They had to do something with it, right? So uh, <laughs> they made it into Vegemite. It's high in vitamin B. So see, it's good for you. But you don't, you don't eat it, uh, well, particularly when you're not used to it. You don't eat it in big teaspoonfuls. You know, you, if you get a cracker and put butter on the cracker and then put Vegemite, just a thin layer on top, that's how you would eat it. Or, you know, to help Americans eat it, put some cheese on top as well. Cheese goes really well with Vegemite, actually, that nice salt taste. But the reason we love Vegemite so much is because when we were born, our parents would start to, my mother would get a little bit of Vegemite. I watched her do this with our other kids because I'm one of six. And she would put a bit of Vegemite on the finger and put it in their mouth and they would get to acquire a taste for it. And so as you get older, you love Vegemite. You're hooked on Vegemite. Mm -hmm. Now, you give Americans who've never tasted Vegemite uh, some Vegemite to taste. And I don't know, I've seen them screw up faces in the most horrible ways I've ever seen in my life. Uh, they say, how do you eat that stuff? But, but see, to me, it's, it's like that with pickles, right? I, look, listen, any vegetable you have to soak for millions of years anyway to be able to eat it, there's something wrong with it. <laughs> you guys over here eat pickles. Could, I'll tell you why. You were brought up on them and you were taught to acquire a taste. So you don't know how bad they are. That, but I do because I wasn't taught to acquire a taste. But that's the whole point. Our parents taught us to acquire a taste. And 
right from when we're young. And if you think about what Paul said to Timothy, you know, that you have learned the scriptures, you know, uh, from a child. And when, when my wife and I were looking at, okay, God's giving us children, what does God say about how to train them? And how do we do this? And, you know, right from a young age, we started to, for instance, show them books and show them pictures. And even if they didn't understand, we would still point to the pictures and, you know, even dinosaur books and things, teaching them apologetics, right? And then as they got a little older, we could actually read the words. And then as they got older, they could read the words and they became their, their favorite books. And we would do two things, putting in the salt of biblical truth, teaching God's word to them. But 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared to give answers. So equipping them for the world, understanding the Genesis 3 attack of our age, the questions they're going to hear, the attacks they're going to hear, to prepare them for that. You think about the issues that confront parents today uh, and confront children, issues of gender, uh, issues in regard to marriage and even pedophilia and abortion and the LGBTQ movement, transgender and all these things. We need to know what we believe as Christians and why. And if you start from Genesis 1 to 11, Genesis 1 to 11 is the origin of all the basic entities of life in the universe. That's the foundation for all of our doctrine. That's the foundation for dealing with gender, two genders, male and female. God created them. Marriage. God made man from dust, woman from his side. There's one marriage, one man, one woman. Abortion. Well, God made humans in the image of God. No animals are made in the image of God. From fertilization, you're made in the image of God. Abortion is killing a human being. It's wrong. You've got to teach them foundationally, teach them how to defend their faith, put the salt of biblical truth in, and put in apologetics, teaching them foundationally to equip them ready for this world. That's one of the things we realized that more we looked at scripture, what does God's word say about how to train children? And that Really, that whole testimony of how my parents brought us up and for us as, uh, as well, looking at God's word, not what psychologists were saying or others necessarily, but what does God's word say about how to train children and, and priorities of education. And then uh, to also show that the spiritual legacy my parents passed on to us as children, that we not only are passing it on to our children and, and now to their, to their children, our grandchildren, but that is the reason that the Ministry of Answers and Genesis Creation Museum and Ark Encounter exists. It's to show that that legacy was passed on from parents who were bold and courageous in raising up godly offspring. And now look at the millions of people being reached with God's word and the gospel because of parents who are obedient to the Lord and wanting to raise up not just offspring, but offspring who love the Lord and stood on his word. You know, it reminds me, just hearing your story reminds me of something that Isaac teaches in the Courageous Parenting Mentor Program. He talks about three generations and asks parents, how many kids do you think you're parenting? And a lot of times they'll look at how many kids they have and they'll say, oh, we have three, so we're parenting three. And then he goes into it to show them that they're actually parenting a lot more than three. Yeah, it's, it's, so a, yeah, it's everyone that they impact. Right. It's a big legacy. 
And I think that one of the biggest questions or I guess um, struggles that parents that we hear from parents today is they feel like they weren't necessarily raised up to know the answers. So they feel ill-equipped in how to give the answers to the kids. And I'll just say, I was raised in a Christian home, but I went to public school and I did believe in creation, but I didn't know how to defend that particular argument. We were just to pick one of them, right? Which today there are so many more. Obviously you just listed a bunch off. Um, but the reality is, is when I became a parent, mm -hmm. I realized I have to redeem my education. I need to dig in. I need to do research myself. I need to invest in my own education. And so for us, one of the things that Isaac encouraged me and he said, Hey, Ange, when we, when we got married, he said, you can spend as much as we can afford on books and good food because we need a library. We need resources. We need to be learning. And that was something that was foundational for us 21 years ago. And now I see it in my kids as they're able to have an answer for things, right? And, you know, they're still in the learning process. I'm still in the learning process. But for us, mm -hmm. having a humble heart of going, I don't know, let's go look it up. And then having different resources, like, honestly, I don't think I've ever spent more time on a website getting resources than answering Genesis because like these books, these are the thick ones, but we also have the thinner kid version ones, answers one, two, and three, volume one, two, and three. We used to have those in a basket in the middle of our table when our kids were all like under 12 years old. And at lunchtime, we just, each person would pick one question and we'd talk about it. And I don't think that parents need, they need to be encouraged that it's not as hard as it seems. And that there are people that can actually help them with resources um, that take them back to the word of God. Mm -hmm. Like you were just saying, like, we just need to get back to the basics of teaching biblical truth and not needing other outside resources like psychologists and different things like that, because we don't necessarily know if they're founded in the Bible. I was just going to say, Angie, I remember one father, he came up to me and said, I've got six children, but I realized I wasn't brought up um, in, in, a, in a Christian home. And um, I was never taught how to train my children. Or I've had others come and say, well, you know, I've grown up in the church all my life, but I just realized I don't know how, really how to train children. And I recognize a lot of people are out there like that. In fact, you know, in many ways, there's been a great neglect of many of our churches. Now, don't get me wrong, it's not all churches, but sadly, the majority who have not taught apologetics. Uh, many of them have compromised God's word in Genesis. And as a result, we have all these families out there that really don't know how to train their children and what to do. And that's one of the reasons I believe the Lord raised up Answers in Genesis. There's some great Christian organizations that God has raised up uh, to be able to help parents. And, you know, we are one of them. And we have the two leading Christian themed attractions in the world, the Ark Encounter and the Creation Museum. You want to bring your children and take them on a whole walk through the Bible and have the Bible come alive in a, in a, a marvelous way, bring them to the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter, and they can learn so much. And you learn, we teach apologetics. We teach them how to think with a Christian worldview. And we have all those resources, like you said, the, the answers books, and there's many other resources as well. We even have, uh, and I'll, I'll just mention this here too, we, we have a four-year Sunday school curriculum called Answers Bible Curriculum, and there's nothing else like it in the world. It's apologetics, biblical authority, Christian doctrine, Christian worldview, going through the whole of uh, the Bible in four years, and thousands of churches are using it, and they say it just revolutionizes their churches. But we now are actually launching uh, in January to 2021, we're launching the homeschool edition. And we have turned it into a homeschool Bible curriculum 
primarily for K to five, but it can also be used for six to eight and even into high school in particular ways. Uh, and it is absolutely phenomenal. And so the, the, in other words, there's a help for parents. You know, how are you going to teach the Bible? How do you teach the Bible and teach not just the content of scripture, but teach apologetics and teach them to think, to have a Christian worldview? Because that's another part that's missing is it's not just a matter of adding God to their thinking. It's a matter of having the Bible as the foundation to develop a Christian worldview. And that's what we do in our materials. And that's what we do in this homeschool uh, Bible curriculum called Answers Bible Curriculum that they, they can get information on at answersingenesis.org. And so we are here to help them. That's what we're here for, to help, help them. And I believe God has raised up uh, this ministry to do that. That is exciting. I just wow. have to, I, I'm excited about that because we so got cool. to hear you speak. I think it was maybe six or seven years ago at a church in Oregon City. And we actually bought that BBS curriculum to use with our kids because we had six kids at the time. And so having yeah. a homeschool version would be so helpful. Um, but I can vouch for it if it's on the similar plane as what we bought. It's awesome. I just wanted to say something about the ARC since you mentioned it is when we were there, one of the yeah. most powerful things, obviously seeing the life size, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. You can literally see it and then you walk through it. But there was this chart inside that proves that all the animals fit inside. And I think just the most simple things like that are such a faith building experience to go, no, the authority of God, mm -hmm. the Bible is accurate. Mm -hmm. These things are not stories. These are historical events mm -hmm. that happened. And that is such an anchor for kids when they're able to literally be inside the ark, it's life size, and then see this chart and see exactly how God did it. Well, you know, um, uh, Isaac, going back to my days as a teacher, I became a public high school teacher, actually, uh, originally in Australia in 1975. And the kids knew I was a Christian because I was going to be heading up the Christian group at the school. And so uh, one of the, it was the first science class, actually. And they said, sir, we heard you're a Christian. I said, yes. Well, how can you be a Christian? And I said, why is that? Well, because um, the Bible can't be true. Why can't the Bible be true? Because what's in our textbooks about evolution and millions of years and I realized right then that what they were being taught was a real stumbling block to them listening uh, to the truth of God's word. And then they said, and Noah couldn't fit the animals on the ark. Uh, it's interesting. That's been one of the most asked questions I've been asked all over the world as I've traveled around, which, which was part of the reasoning as to why, you know, while we're building the creation museum, what can we do next? And I've always had this burden. We need to show people the size of the ark and answer those questions. And so I've always wanted to be able to build a life-size ark to show people, look, we can, we can actually see how big it was. Noah could fit the animals on board and answer those most asked questions people have that cause doubts because I know that those questions cause doubts that lead to unbelief. And uh, so we have now built the ark and it is one and a half times the length of a football field, half the width of a football field. It stands 10 stories high at the bow end, 3.3 million board feet of timber and all three decks filled with exhibits answering questions. And uh, it's, it's interesting, even one of the non-Christian leaders in the community here, you know, we're in Northern Kentucky and came down to visit the Ark. And as we got up to, towards the Ark itself, I mean, it seems to get bigger and bigger as you walk up to it, it's a massive structure. And this is a non-Christian from the community. And he stopped and he turned and looked at me and he said, oh, this thing's enormous. Maybe God could have fitted all the animals in after all. 
Uh, so the very fact he said that means even the size was speaking to that person. And you know, the other interesting thing is like, we have many different exhibits in the ark and answer tons of questions. But one of the exhibits is how could he look after the animals and get, get the waste away? And we actually show how some of the ancient wooden ships did it and how Noah could have done it to make, to show people this was feasible, this could actually be done. And I've talked to a number of teenagers uh, that have gone through the ark and I've seen groups there and stopped them and talked to them. And I said, which exhibit did you like the best? And many times they said, wow, to learn how Noah could have looked after those animals and got rid of all their waste and everything. That was, that was really cool. Wow. That makes sense. You know, even that speaks to them. It makes a big difference when you answer those questions. Mm-hmm. So powerful. That's incredible. I want to take a moment and give you something for free, if you haven't got it already, is the Date Night One Sheet. It is a beautiful document you can download that will have some key questions on it for your date night to just get in alignment about what's most important for your family. No matter what time of year, it's always important to recalibrate. You can get that by going to CourageousParenting.com and subscribing to our mailing list. Um, Also, you can get all of our show notes and everything at CourageousParenting.com. And I also just want to share real quick about the Parenting Mentor Program. So many families are being transformed by going through this. Uh, It's the six-week self-paced program uh, with live engagement from us and even direct interaction. So if you want to join us, uh, here's a little bit more about it. You can find out more at CourageousParenting.com. Steve and I realized that we were getting too comfortable with the world's vision of how to raise our children. What Angie and Isaac have done in creating this is literally phenomenal. This program provided awesome scripture-based teachings and just some really great practical applications. This class has just really rocked my world. It has given me a vision for not just the different things that we might focus on as parents who are trying to raise our kids biblically, like how our kids are behaving or what we're doing with discipline, but also the things of the heart. We now have a game plan to how we want to raise our children. We have so many answers to the questions that have been in our mind. It's not just these hypothetical situations, or it's not just this, here's what I think you should do. It's, let me show you where in scripture this is. Do your legacy a favor and yourself a favor and just do it. One of the best things that we've done this year, one of the best investments we've made this year, and I could not recommend it more. We're no longer fearing dark days ahead, but we're so excited to raise lights to be leaders for the next generation. That's incredible. You have, a, you have a chapter in the book, How to Train Kids and Be Ready for Potentially Faith-Shattering Questions, which is what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. What do you think, uh, as you've experienced this with lots of people, lots of parents and all the things you've done, what are some, some of those faith-shattering questions that happen that parents are ill-equipped for? Well, you know, even before we sort of um, answer that question to a degree, you imagine, let me ask you, if you went into the average church in America, right? And the pastor let you get up there and you said, I'm going to ask some questions and I want you to tell me how you would answer them. How do you know the Bible's true? Where did the Bible come from anyway? How do you know there is a God? What does it mean the Bible is the inspired word of God? Uh, how, How would you explain what is the message of the Bible? I mean, what is it all about anyway? And how do you know Jesus rose from the dead? And uh, well, where did Cain get his wife? If we all go back to Adam and Eve and how do you deal with evolution and millions of years? And how would you answer the question? How did Noah get the animals on the ark? And what sort of animals did he take on the ark? Was it every species or, or what was it? You know, 
if you ask those questions, that's just some of them, but if you ask those questions to the average congregation, how many people do you think could get up and say, I can answer all those and I've taught my children how to answer them? Yeah, not happening. See, my point is even the adults don't know how to answer those questions. I mean, very few. And if they don't know how to answer them, how are they going to equip their children? And, you know, that's one of the reasons you showed before, Angie, the answers book. There's actually five answers books now, answers books one to four, and then the flood of evidence, which is really answers book five. And it's 160 of the most asked questions that we've been asked over the years. As I've traveled around the world for the past 40 plus years. And I know the most asked questions people ask, you know, where did Cain get his wife? Well, what about the races of people? How do you explain them? We go back to Adam and Eve. What do you do with dinosaurs? How do you get the animals on the ark? What about carbon dating? How do you know there's a God? Well, who made God? Well, how do you understand all of that? And uh, is there any evidence for a flood? And what about the ape men? And what about the billions uh, of years? And what about the Big Bang? And, you know, we know the most asked questions. And we have answered those in those books. And then we did the series for kids, the kids' answers books, of which there are eight now uh, in that series, and answering all the most asked questions. And you see, the, the point is, a lot of times I think in our churches, you know, we have a lot of great pastors, and a, lot of, a lot of people have a heart for the Lord. But if you just, you know, you say, oh, I'm going to, today we're going to teach about the account of Zacchaeus. And it's sort of like, you can teach from the scripture within the scripture and and learn the spiritual things and so on from that. And that's good. And we need to do that. But not just that. We also need to be equipping them saying, now you're growing up in this world, which is, um, you know, through, for instance, through the public education system, is throwing so many things at kids that, I mean, it's become very antagonistic to Christianity, very atheistic. Mm -hmm. And your kids are hearing all this information that contradicts the Bible. Um, and you, you need to know how to answer these and, and you need to know how to, how to defend the Christian faith and uh, teaching them. You need to, to know how to train your children to understand where marriage came from. And then how do you argue with a non-Christian? You can't just go out there and hit them on the head with the Bible. I mean, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That's true. But when you're witnessing to a non-Christian who thinks the Bible is not even true, you've got to use a certain way of speaking to them. Mm -hmm. uh, to be able to get them to listen to you and so on. Are our churches really doing that? And I would say from my own experience, in the majority of instances, they're not. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I believe God has raised up uh, the Ministry of Answers and Genesis to be able to help parents and help the church. Now, there are a lot of churches. I mentioned earlier, there's about 10,000 churches have been using our answers Bible curriculum, and they're saying it's revolutionizing their churches because most Sunday school material and a lot of the BBS programs are what I call fluff and stuff, you know, shallow, <laughs> shallow <laughs> entertainment. <laughs> shallow entertainment mm -hmm. and just Bible stories. In fact, even today, see, here, here's a point, and that is using the word story, right? Yeah. The word story today means something different for the younger generations than it did for the older generations. Today, it means fairy tale or fiction. And we still use in many of our churches, the term Bible stories. We're gonna have Bible stories of the kids today. In Sunday school, we're gonna have Bible stories. But 90%, 90, 95% of kids from church homes actually go to the public education system and where they believe, oh, we're learning real stuff there. But at church, we do stories, you know? Um, and, and the other thing I wanna challenge parents with is this there's a real important point going back to the salt example we gave earlier you know a lot of people say well our kids need to be in the public school to witness to the other kids 
Well, number one, they can't be salt until they have it. Mark 9.50 says, have salt in yourselves. Number two, if the salt's contaminated, like Matthew 5.13, if the salt's contaminated, it's no longer good for anything. You can't just throw them into a system where, by and large, that system now is throwing God out, the Bible out, prayer out, and indoctrinates them in atheistic naturalism. That's really the religion of the public education system. We need to be putting the salt of biblical truth in, teaching them to defend their faith, get ready for the world so they can be the salt of the earth. They can't just go out there and be salt till they're equipped, till they have it. That's a very, very important point uh, for parents to understand. And that's, that's why we're so adamant about uh, teaching them foundationally and teaching them apologetics as we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and sadly, a lot of parents don't um, read that scripture in Matthew about the salt, realizing that it says if the salt loses its saltiness, it's worthless and should be thrown out, right? And it's, it's one of those things where we need to realize that kids, like you said earlier, are not born salty, right? Right. We're, we're not. And so we have to equip them. We're oftentimes telling parents, well, okay, you're getting upset with your three-year-old, right? And they're having a temper tantrum and you're expecting emotional self-control, but have you taught them emotional self-control and are you modeling it? You know what I mean? Because there's both elements of it. Are we expecting something from our kids that they have not learned yet, that we haven't taught them? And I think that it's the same thing for mm-hmm. expecting them to be the salt in a public school education Um, environment, or even in any other secular environment, if we haven't equipped them and taught them how to answer questions, how to have conversations, the importance, or even teaching them, like, I I even think about myself when I learned the Roman road, right? Like that, that for me was, oh, now I can actually have a conversation because I can memorize these scriptures that help me to talk to somebody and take them to the word of God, which the word of God can then answer their questions. But that was just like the, that was such a, a very, um, first step place. There's so many more questions that we need to be equipping our kids with. I even think about today and just what's been happening in the world mm-hmm. with being able to discern what is truth, right? Because there's so many things being broadcasted. Um, Christians and conservatives are being censored, right? And so our kids, as they're being launched into this world, it really is a new kind of world in a sense. Um, than even 10 years ago. I mean, when we started the Courageous Parenting Mentor Program and our whole tagline is equipping confident, courageous kids for an uncertain world. And we had no idea two years ago that we were gonna be in what we're in right now. Um, But how does your book, this new book, right? Speak to parents about this new world or this this changing uncertain place that kids are gonna be navigating now. Well, you know, one of the things that I really try to do too is to help parents understand that, you know, we, we said before that we're in a spiritual battle and it's a battle between God's word and man's word. And so it's really a battle between uh, worldviews. It's a clash of worldviews. And I think many parents don't really grasp the concept. And that is, where does our thinking come from? Why do we think the way we do? Where, where do we get that from? Because here's the point, We're not, we, we can't just add the Bible to our thinking. In other words, even in a homeschool situation, the Bible shouldn't be, oh, 9 to 9.30 every day we study Bible. No, if you understand, if the Bible is 
is what it claims to be, and it is the revealed word of God who knows everything there is to know about everything, then it's the foundation for our whole worldview. In other words, in every subject area, in everything we do, we're starting from God's word because he knows everything. He's revealed to us uh, what we need to know to build a way of thinking. So it's like putting on a pair of glasses, right? You put on glasses. Everyone wears glasses. You either have on Christian worldview glasses or secular worldview glasses, right? And we want to raise up children to have on those Christian worldview glasses. I find one of the best ways to explain this is like um, uh, uh, some practical examples. And that is at the Creation Museum, we walk people through one of the main exhibits. We've got a number of different exhibits and theaters and so on. But one of the main exhibits is the walk through history. We call it the seven seas of history. And so it's a walk through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation with all these life-size exhibits. And we label them this way, creation, the perfect creation. Second C is corruption, the entrance of sin and death into the world. The third C, catastrophe, the flood of Noah's day. Fourth C, Tower of Babel uh, and the giving of different languages and forming different people groups. And then Christ's cross consummation, you know, the message of the gospel founded in that history. Those first four C's, creation, corruption, catastrophe, confusion, that's the biological, astronomical, anthropological, geological history that God has given to us that's actually a foundation for our entire worldview. It's the foundation for the rest of the Bible. It's the foundation for all of our doctrine. And, and so if we really want to know what it means to, to be parenting children, we need to make sure we're starting from God's word, have the right foundation. Because from Genesis 1 to 11, for instance, if your kids say, you know, and this is what the atheists say today, how can it be a loving God with all the death and suffering in the world? You know, look out there, there's no loving God. Look at this horrible world. And unfortunately, many kids from church homes have been led astray by that by saying, yeah, how can there be a loving God? Mm -hmm. But if you've taught them a, a worldview starting from Genesis 1 to 11, then you know you're not looking at the world as God made it. You're looking at the world that he made that's now suffering from the effects of sin. And, and that, so the fall and the judgment of death and the event of Noah's flood that uh, that formed fossil layers all over the earth. And then the event of the Tower of Babel, uh, forming different people, groups and nations. We're all one race. We all go back to Adam and Eve. And so when you look out at the world and you see all the death and suffering, you would say that's because that's because of our sin. We sinned against God. That's the judgment God placed upon us. So when we start from God's word in Genesis 1 to 11, then we know we're, we're looking at a fallen world. And so it's not the world as God made it. And so God is a God of love. He made a perfect world. We rebelled against God, but he wants us to spend eternity with him, which is why he sent his son to die on a cross and be raised from the dead and offers a free gift of salvation. And so... My point is, if we haven't trained them from Genesis 1 to 11 as the foundation for their worldview and their doctrine, they won't know how to deal with death and suffering. If you, if you want to teach them about marriage, what is marriage? You know, um, my daughter, just right before uh, we, we had this uh, program here, uh, she sent me a text. She went to one of the medical clinics uh, in the area, your little clinic, and you probably have the, those things. And she had to fill out a form and it asked, what gender are you? Male, female, trans man, trans woman, binary, other. I mean, 
you know, it worries you when you go to a medical clinic if they don't know the difference between male and female, right? <laughs> They're going there uh, for some medical reason. But, but the point is, this is the world our children are growing up in. And, you know, Angie, you said something before. I put it, in, in, and I totally agree with you, and I put it in, a, in, a, in a, another way, and that is our kids are now, gonna, are now growing up in what I would call is more the real world. Now, what I mean by that, America has had tremendous Christian influence. And not that it's been a true Christian nation, but it's been a very Christianized nation. And Christian morality permeated the culture. But you see, that's not really the real world because the scripture says men love darkness rather than light. And there's more in the broad way than the narrow way. And we learn what the real world is when you learn about the sin nature of man in the Bible. And what's happened is, and I believe it's in many ways, it's Christian's fault for, for not raising up godly generations, not equipping people, not impacting the culture like we should. We now see the real world, which is, which is the, the, the sin-cursed world. We now see it in people rising uh, to the surface and, and we're seeing it all in a way we've never seen it before. And now our kids are being thrust into that. And they've got to be equipped to be able to stand in this world and, and understand it. Yeah, no, you're totally true. I mean, Isaac and I have talked yeah. about this concept just from even traveling internationally and seeing that there is more persecution. Obviously, we've got mm. the underground church, the 1040 window, and obviously we've been spending years praying with our kids, trying to help them to see as much as they can, but they've still been raised in America, right? And so here, for anyone who's lived here for a long period of time, you become desensitized to the reality of what the rest of the world is experiencing also, right, in mm -hmm. real time. But at the same time, it's always been like that since the fall, in a sense. Right. And so I love what you're saying regarding actually they're they're being raised in more of a real world, <laughs> whereas <clears throat> it was kind of, I don't know if hidden is the right word or masked in a weird way. Yeah, masked, I think masked to a degree. And, you know, the question for parents is, have you raised your kids now to be able to live in the real world and cope in the real world uh, as Christians? You know, have we really done that? And that's that's an issue. See, it, it even relates to the education system. The older generations, and I don't think they understand the problem to, to a degree. A lot of them don't seem to see the problem. Even when they went to public school, right, there was a veneer of Christianity. The Bible was allowed in school and prayer and you could teach creation and that was okay. But for the younger generations, when you look at Generation X and then the Millennials Y and then Generation Z and now coming up Generation Alpha, when you look at the younger generations, the public education system has shown the Bible out, by and large, the Bible out, prayer out, creation out. Mm -hmm. They didn't throw religion out, they threw Christianity out. And now their whole philosophy is you can explain everything without God by natural processes. Naturalism is atheism. It's become very antagonistic to Christianity. They indoctrinate in, in a secular humanist worldview. Generations of the kids from the church homes have now been in that system. The older generations, many of them don't realize it has changed from when they went to school and it's become extremely atheistic and antagonistic. And then we're wondering why we're losing those kids from the church and why, wondering why they don't want anything to do uh, with Christianity. And we need to understand, you know, that even the public education system now is exhibiting what the real world is all about. It's antagonism uh, to Christianity, you know, because um, 
the the world the things of this world are at enmity with god they're they're at war with god and unfortunately we haven't prepared the soldiers for that war and we're losing many of them in battle hey ken um how detrimental is it if one parent is trying hard and the other one is lukewarm this is a question from our audience mm -hmm. and in in that same question you know speak to the fathers you know yeah. and the roles and i think it's so important to reflect passivity but it seems like so many embrace passivity yeah this is a big question that we get from a lot of people often well you know that's something um, I meant to answer earlier in regard to one of your questions, but uh, I get off on rabbit trail sometimes. So uh, anyway, but that's a, that's a big part of the book too. And, and that is, uh, we have to ask the question, what does the Bible say? Not what you think, not what your opinion is, not necessarily how you even brought up, but for everyone to ask, what does the Bible say about my role as a father and for my wife's role as a mother what does God's word say? And you know, if you stand back and look at scripture very carefully, the fathers to the children shall make known your truth. Fathers bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Psalm 78 is a good psalm to read. Fathers teach your children so they'll not forget to teach their children. Fathers teach your children so they'll not forget to teach their children and not forget to teach their children. And then the end of the psalm talks about the Israelite fathers who didn't teach their children. And, and you see a consequence of that. You know, if you don't raise up uh, uh, that spiritual legacy in the next generation you, you lose it and it only takes one generation to lose it if you look at when the the israelites crossed the jordan river and they built 12 stones as a memorial so when your children ask what do these stones mean you'll not forget to tell them what god has done and one of the things you then read on is that joshua dies the elders that were with him die and then the next generation serve baal they lost it in one generation because the fathers didn't teach the children. And we need to get very blunt here. And that is most fathers, most fathers in, in church homes today have not taken on their God-given, God-commanded responsibility to be the spiritual head of their house, to be the priest to their wife and their family, and to head up uh, spiritually the training of uh, that family and uh, for their spiritual input, because that's what the scripture clearly teaches. It doesn't mean, mean that mothers don't get involved, but see, you've got to go back to Genesis here and understand what sin has done. Because as you read Genesis, um, one of the things you read there that in, in the scripture, your desire will be to your husband and he shall rule over you. Many commentators, and I've researched this a lot over the years, are saying that, see, and you see this in many areas, Satan always turns things around to the opposite of what God has decreed, right? He always wants to do the opposite, always corrupts things to do the opposite. And so that verse, I believe, is really saying what's going to happen because of sin is that women, a lot of women will want to usurp the authority of the man in, in the, his headship role in, in the marriage, in a house. And by the way, we see that in the feminist movement, and which has even affected many of our churches and, and many of our church families. And the man will want to be despotic in, in his attitude towards his wife and lording it over his wife. You see that in a number of countries around the world where you, you see that sort of thing. In other words, we're not going to do, our, our nature is we don't want to be obedient to the roles God has given us. We're going to, we want to do the opposite. And I see that exhibited in so many church homes where 
mostly it's the woman who's taken on the spiritual headship role. A lot of times because the man doesn't want to, sometimes it's because they don't want him to, because they want to be the leader, because that's our nature. Our nature will, will want to drive us to do that. And so we have got to stand back and say, wait a minute, what does God say is my role? And I believe there are others, husbands and wives, that need to get on their knee, Lord, and repent of not to the roles that God has ordained for them. You know, the scripture says we're to be submissive to each other in the roles he's ordained, ordained for us. You know, because, you know, we, we live in this world today where there's this emphasis on equality. But does the scripture really teach equality? It depends what you mean. If, you, if you're talking about equality in regard to our value before the Lord and in regard to salvation, absolutely. But if you're talking about roles, no. Scripture teaches there are different roles. We are not equal in roles. We have different roles. Uh, husbands have different roles to, to, to wives, fathers, to uh, the mothers, and so it goes on. And so if fathers started taking on their God-given responsibility, you know, there is a lot, there's a lot that's been written about when fathers are not the head of their house. And uh, so I challenge the fathers to do what God has told us to do and to take on that responsibility uh, of being the spiritual head of your homes. Amen. We couldn't agree more. And that's such an important message. Uh, well, Ken, this has been absolutely amazing. I know everybody's going to get a lot out of it. Uh, where can people get the resources and specifically this new book coming out, Will They Stand? Parenting Kids to Face the Giants. Uh, but let me share. Yeah, I, I absolutely love our uh, subtitle there, Parenting Kids to Face the Giants. Um, maybe you could use that for the title of this program. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think that's a great title for it. Uh, Anyway, our ministry, our main, our main website is answersingenesis.org. You can go there and that'll launch you into all the different places that we have, but answersingenesis.org, and you can go to our store and you'll see the books there uh, that we have and the DVDs and the Sunday school curriculum and the uh, homeschool Bible curriculum that we're launching right now uh, that uh, we believe will be a tremendous asset for homeschoolers out there in raising children the way we've been talking about in this program. All right, everybody. And so you got to go see the ARC too. It is hands down one of the best things you can do with your family. We absolutely loved it. We did an RV trip and get yourself there with your family and check it out. The Creation Museum is right next door too. So that's uh, amazing as well. Well, Ken, we so appreciate you being on the Courageous Parenting Podcast. Well, thank you. Great to be with you. All right. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. For more resources, go to Courageous Parenting and CourageousMom.com for free online workshops, blog posts, and best-selling courses. Also, we wanted to quickly tell you about our six-week online parenting mentor program. Isaac and I created a powerful biblical curriculum. Here's how it works. Each week, we release a video with a downloadable parenting packet to make it easy for you to incorporate those teachings directly into your parenting. This is an incredible self-paced program where we cover everything from obedience training to overcoming mistakes most Christians are making. But more than that, it's a supportive community. You'll have access to our private online group, live webcasts, and the Courageous Parenting text message line where Angie and I can send you weekly encouragements straight to your phone. If you're interested in joining our next online parenting mentor program, secure your spot now at CourageousParenting.com. That's CourageousParenting.com.